Hey there, I'm Scott Bertram, and I'm the director of the Hillsdale College Podcast Network. This show and all the other shows on the network are listener-supported. That means we hope for, we count on, frankly, we rely on the support of listeners like you to make our educational outreach possible. One of the best and most convenient ways to do so is joining the Liberty and Learning Society. That's our exclusive monthly giving group. And in this month of March, we are looking for 300 new members of the Liberty and Learning Society. When you join, you'll help defend liberty through education, and you'll make shows like this one possible far into the future. All you have to do is visit hillsdale.edu slash monthly and complete the secure online donation form. If you need to pause or stop your gift at some point, no problem. Just call us. One of our friendly students or staff will help you. But today, will you be one of the 300 new members of the Liberty and Learning Society in March? Go to hillsdale.edu slash monthly to join the Liberty and Learning Society today. Help us bring these shows to you and other Americans at hillsdale.edu slash monthly. Welcome to Hillsdale College's Classical Education Podcast, bringing you insight into classical education and its unique emphasis on human virtue and moral character, responsible citizenship, content-rich curricula, and teacher-led classrooms. And now your host, Scott Bertram. Thanks for listening. You can find more information on topics and ideas discussed on this show at our website, k12.hillsdale.edu. That's k 12 hillsdale.edu. We're joined today by Grace Ramsey. She is Dean of Students at Ascent Classical Academy of Northern Colorado. That's in Windsor, Colorado. Grace, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're discussing today Latin and its role in classical education. I bet the question about Latin you get more than most is, why is my kid studying Latin? What What's <laughs> the point of this whole thing? How do you begin to respond to that kind of question from parents? Absolutely. Uh, so I've, I've taught Latin for six, seven years now. Um, so this question comes up quite frequently, not just from parents, but from students who want to know why I'm taking their time to uh, have them learn declensions, conjugations, and uh, practice translating sentences. Um, and I find that the uh, the first place they often start is they they talk to me about some of the common statistics that are known about students who study Latin. So. They point out that it improves English grammar. Um, they'll point out that it helps with vocabulary. Um, they'll note that it, Latin is the root language of all modern Romance languages, so French, Spanish, Portuguese. Um, but aside from that, they're wondering what the practical application of studying mm-hmm. Latin is, um, which to me betrays a assumption about what the purpose of studying modern or any foreign language is. Um, and so that's the first question I, I ask of them. Um, is, well, what's the point of learning a language? And most of them will respond, I, I want to learn a language so I can speak to other people in this language. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an excellent reason to study a foreign language. And at that point, I agree with them, which tends to catch them off guard. Uh, yes, if you want to learn to speak a language so you can communicate outwardly from you to other people, then Latin is probably not the language for you. Uh, there's simply just no one around who who speaks anymore besides uh, some of us who are very enthusiastic about <laughs> it. Uh so then the, the question becomes, well, what, what's the point of learning a language that is not spoken? Uh, and and the, the piece about learning foreign language that I think many of us forget um, is that language is a two-way door. Uh, it not only opens up a way for you as the speaker or you as the, the learner to communicate with somebody else, 
it opens up the door for that entire language, that entire culture, that entire heritage to communicate with you. Um, and that really is the only reason to study Latin, is that there's an entire world of understanding, a way of thinking that's locked behind this language, um, that you can read the ideas in translation, um, but the only reason to learn Latin is so that the ancients and the medievals and those who wrote in Latin can speak to you. I want to come back to that point in just a little bit. When generally do we start with Latin instruction in our classical education schools? That's a great question. Um, it depends uh, in some part on where schools are ready to start. Uh, many schools I know will start some basic instruction in Latin in the younger grades, around third grade. Um, but the formal instruction of Latin tends to start around sixth or seventh grade, where it becomes a class that most students have every day for about 50 minutes. Um, and so you usually start uh, in classical schools with um, the formal grammar of Latin, which ties into often what they've studied in their English classes with mm -hmm. formal grammar. Um, one of my favorite moments with my sixth grade students is we learn about the predicate nominative in Latin, and suddenly their eyes light up because they're like, this is why it's called a predicate nominative, <laughs> because in English class they just learn the term nominative. In Latin they understand that nominative is a case. It's connected to the idea of something being the subject. And so in Latin, when you have a predicate nominative, it's a nominative that is so because it is equivalent to the subject of the sentence. And then I want to say, how long does it take? Because it's going to be <laughs> different for each student, and there's always more you can do. Mm -hmm. When you look at, say, a timeline of, of how, where you move and where students move in learning Latin through school, how does that look? Absolutely. So uh, in the uh, Hillsdale schools, we tend to teach Latin from sixth grade all the way through 12th grade. Um, although many schools do offer students the option to switch to a modern foreign language at some point in the high school, um, many of the students choose to continue on with Latin. Um, and there's good reason for that. Uh, learning a language is a long process. It takes a lot of investment. I tell sixth graders when we start learning Latin, this is the first time for many of you since first grade or kindergarten that you're starting a new subject completely from scratch. Mm -hmm. You've done some form of reading and working with words since you started kindergarten. You've done something with mathematics since you started kindergarten. Science, history, you were talking about those things in first grade. Latin, unless you were you know, fortunate enough to go to a school that started you with some Latin in third grade, this is the first time you're doing something new. So we're going to take those skills of learning that you've been practicing since you were in first grade, and we're going to go back to the beginning and start again with a subject that's totally new to you. Um, and for some students who, for whom my you know, arguments about the value of learning Latin to hear from the ancients is not effective. <laughs> Sometimes I have to explain to them that, you know what? There will be things in life that you have to learn how to do well that you don't want to do. Paying my taxes, I need to do that well, uh, even if that's not my favorite thing to do every year. Um, and so this will be an excellent opportunity for you as a student uh, with Latin to practice doing something you don't enjoy doing, but you're going to learn how to apply yourself and do it well. Does it necessitate a different approach than other more modern foreign languages due to the fact that, again, it's not spoken? Is there a different approach that's needed from a teaching perspective? This is a great question. Um, this is actually a hot topic of debate within <laughs> uh, uh, circles of teaching Latin. Um, there are There's two major uh, philosophical approaches to the teaching of Latin. Uh, one is called an immersion-based method, which is much like a modern foreign language class where the teacher is instructing in Latin and students are expected to speak it. Um, then there's another method called grammar translation. Um, where the topic, the classes are usually taught in English or whichever language is the native language of the learners. Um, and the teacher is approaching the instruction of the language from a grammatical perspective with a focus towards translation. Um, 
I find that this debate, in my mind, is a bit like the classical versus ecclesiastical pronunciation debate. I don't think there's necessarily a right answer. I think the answer depends on what do you want to do with it? Um, in, in studying language, we talk a lot about the four ways language is used. Uh, there's the oral, listening and speaking, and there's the verbal, uh, written and uh, reading. And uh, when it comes to studying Latin, um, it really depends on how much time you have and what your aim is. Um, there are plenty of strong programs out there at the collegiate level, um, at the high school and middle school level, that are focusing on all four of those domains. Um, and they make a strong argument that if you can master language orally, you can speak it and you can understand it when spoken, um, that you will have a more uh, a native and inherent understanding of the grammar behind it, um, which is going to make you a stronger uh, student and user of the language. I won't dispute that. Um, however, I look at uh, the, the, the time allotted that I have within my curriculum and the amount of time I have per day with students, and I have to make decisions um, from a curricular perspective. And so I tell my students, starting from day one, the goal of our class is to read Latin. Hmm. Um, and so my instruction is tailored towards uh, bringing in those grammatical concepts, helping them understand it from that level. Um, it's not that I don't value the listening to Latin or the speaking of it. We recite Latin phrases. My students memorize state mottos in Latin. Um, I find that builds a <laughs> wonderful set of uh, common points that they have uh, that we can pull from when they're stuck on grammar or vocabulary. Um, but I do not teach my classes in Latin. That's not because I think that's necessarily, you know, that makes me a better Latin teacher than someone who does. Um, it's simply that I only have a limited amount of time. And my goal is to get them to reading Latin um, as much as I can. And with those limited amount of minutes that I have in the classroom, uh, I want to devote my instruction to students being ready to read it. Talking with Grace Ramsey, who's Dean of Students at Ascent Classical Academy of Northern Colorado on Latin at its role in classical education. All right, so you talked earlier about this two-way door, not just learning a language to communicate presently, but mm -hmm. to open that door to have other cultures communicate to you. What are those various doors that open once students begin to understand Latin? Uh, that's an excellent question. Um, so to, to answer this, I'm probably going to point to what uh, I try to work with students on as we move out of beginning Latin and we start accessing um, what we'll call authentic Latin. Um, so when you're when you're learning a language, you know, you read many of those very short, simple sentences. Um, think about what you read when you were in first grade, the cat sat on the mat. We read something like that in beginning Latin um, before we can reach authentic text. Um, and so incorporating authentic text as much as possible, that is Latin that was written in the wild by uh, speakers of Latin or by those who spoke it and used it as a, a language of instruction in the Middle Ages. Um, reading that Latin is going to read differently than practice Latin mm -hmm. that we put together for students to see concepts. Um, so when we get into authentic Latin, we can read things like Cicero. Uh, we can read things like Virgil. Um, one of my favorites to read with students is actually uh, the Vulgate. Uh, comes from Latin vulgus, meaning the common people. It's the translation of the Bible uh, created by St. Jerome in order to bring the Bible into the common language of the people. And uh, one of my favorite things to do when reading the Beatitudes is to pick passages I know many of my students are familiar with uh -huh. because it gives us a chance to turn some of their expectations upside down, as it were. Um, so, for example, uh, one of my favorites to read is the Beatitudes, uh, so named actually because of Latin. Uh, the sentences in the Beatitudes, which uh, may be familiar to English speakers as blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, mm -hmm. in Latin come off as beati qui, beati qui. Uh, 
And so we'll start reading, and my students immediately want to say, blessed for Beati. <laughs> I say, oh, let's go look at our, let's go make sure we were looking at the range of meanings. And, and while Beatus can mean blessed or holy, uh, in classical Latin, it tends to have more of a meaning of happy or fortunate. And so I make them translate it as happy are those who, fortunate are those who. Um, I believe the first one is uh, happy are those who are poor in respect to spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of the, and they want to say heaven. I say, nope, got to translate it literally, skies, uh, which then provides a beautiful counterpart for the second uh, beatitude, which then says, uh, blessed are the mites. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I should say happy are the mites. Uh, the gentle, uh, for theirs is the uh, the earth, the teron, the land. So we have the entire universe encapsulated between the poor in respect to spirit um, and the gentle. Uh, and so it, it gives them a chance to um, experience the text, even though it's a Latin translation of a Greek original or a Hebrew original. Um, it gives them a chance to kind of see what translation does um, in action. Um, and I, I will never forget one time we finished uh, reading the Beatitudes. And so just to kind of illustrate some principles of translation, I put up on my projector um, a couple different English translations of the same passage. I put up a King James Version. Uh, I put up, I believe it was ESV or NIV, and then I put up a, a translation from the message. Mm -hmm. So very different approaches to translating the text. Um, and we kind of read through them and compared them. And I had one student who just went, Mr. Ramsey, I don't think we can translate this. I think how we translate it changes what it looks like. Um, and that was a really exciting moment for me as a teacher to have a student realize that translation from one language to another has some element of interpretation. That is, you as the translator are making decisions about what that text is saying and then turning it into another language for those readers. That's not to say translation has no benefit. Um, obviously, our high school students need to read translations mm -hmm. of Cicero and Aristotle to debate those ideas. Um, and we can hold those translators accountable for accurate translation by comparing them against each other. Um, but at the end of the day, there is always going to be something lost when you move from one language to another. And that gives them an idea about why there are different translations for the same mm -hmm. passage. It gives them ideas about why there are footnotes mm -hmm. uh, explaining, well, this is what this interpreter said, but it also can be this way. It's really firsthand experience as to what is done in the translation process. Absolutely, and it, it causes them to question and, and hold accountable the translator of a text before they rely too heavily on the literal structure that the translator has chosen for that particular set of words coming out of another language. Talked, uh, we have talked in previous episodes about the relationship between what students are studying, say, in history class and what they're reading in literature class mm -hmm. and how those are, are, are married at some points during the course of the curriculum. Is the same true for Latin? Can what they are doing and learning in Latin help them in these other classes uh, throughout their classical education? Absolutely. Uh, part of that's going to depend on when they started studying Latin um, and how that relates to the progression of, of history within their curriculum. Um, but I know uh, that, for instance, many students in ninth grade end up reading the Aeneid in Latin at the same time that they're reading it in literature class. Um, I'm also uh, a bit notorious for telling my students in Latin class that I personally find the English translations of the Aeneid boring, um, <laughs> simply because they lose so much of the excitement and the thrill of, of the original. Um, for example, um, in book six of the Aeneid, when Aeneas is in the underworld, he's riding the boat uh, across the river Styx with uh, Charon, the uh, uh, boatman. Um, and the way that Virgil has placed the words in the line 
um, from left to right, you get the word for charon. And then you have some words, and you have Aeneas, the, the Aeneas's name sitting right in the middle of this line. Some more words, and then the word for boat, uh, the word for the front of the boat uh, at the end of the line. And so what Virgil has done is quite visually painted a picture of Aeneas sitting in the middle of this boat with the boatman at the back and the word for the boat itself at the front. Um, it's word painting. It's, it's cinematic in a way that you cannot appreciate in English because our language requires us to rearrange the word order for mm -hmm. it to make sense. Um, so I have students who are just absolutely thrilled to find um, little tricks like that uh, hidden all throughout the Aeneid um, that makes it so much more rich of a poem to experience um, than just an English translation. Talking with Grace Ramsey, Dean of Students at Ascent Classical Academy of Northern Colorado on Latin and its role in classical education. Does learning Latin and beginning to learn Latin at, at the age that, that we do in, in classical education make it easier for students later to perhaps pick up and, and learn some of these other modern languages? That's often a question that I'm asked uh, because many parents are concerned, uh, you know, rightfully so, about their child having um, some exposure to modern foreign language as well. Um, I would say that studying any language, this is a general benefit of mm. all languages, not limited to just Latin. Um, studying any language uh, strengthens your brain and trains it to think in new and different ways. One of the greatest struggles that my beginning Latin students often have is understanding how Latin can portray a very simple idea in such a very different way. They get hung up on the fact that Latin does not follow the same word order as English. <laughs> um, the grammatical structure is different. Um, even if nouns and verbs are still nouns and verbs, the way that they work together is very different. And so there's a lot of brain training that goes into understanding how another language works, um, that even if Latin is the language you've started with and you have not touched a modern foreign language just yet, um, that understanding, uh, the way I phrase it to my students is, you know, when you, were, when you were an infant, you didn't know that there were words for things. So you had to learn about the concept of language itself uh, before you could apply it. Um, when you're studying a language like Latin or Spanish or Mandarin Chinese, you know that there's a word for this item. You just need to know what that word is and how to properly use it. Um, so exposing them to uh, Latin can help prepare them to study another language, whether it's a romance language that's grammatically and linguistically related, or whether it's a language that has uh, no linguistic relation um, to Latin or a very distant linguistic relationship to Latin simply because they've had the opportunity to go through the process of understanding a language that's not their own. Where would you place or how would you place Latin in the larger uh, picture of classical education? Where does it fit in among everything else that is being done in, inside the classroom? <laughs> well, the Latin teacher in me says it should be at the top. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, in terms of how it fits within the classroom, I think this is an excellent question. Um, I think it's a, a subject that um, enriches and enhances the student's understanding of what they're studying across the curriculum. Um, from simply the vocabulary support, um, students will start to be shocked. They kind of surprise themselves at realizing they can understand vocabulary and text that um, they may not have known just from their English classes, but they can connect Latin roots to it. Um, but it also, um, in, in my mind, um, again, going back to that doorway, that two-way understanding, um, it takes a long time to master a language. Uh, it's going to take you at least several years um, to reach, you know, confident capacity in, in reading authentic texts. Um, and that's a commitment mm -hmm. um, that many of our students may not entirely be ready for um, until they get into it and they study together with us. But uh, I, I think the study of Latin is, is humbling. 
You know, we spend all this time um, in our English-speaking American classical schools uh, studying the English tradition. We read British literature. Um, we read translations of, of, again, Cicero and Aristotle. Um, we spend a long time mastering the written art of English. Um, and then to read Latin and put the effort in and, and get to read these beautiful authors who are writing with excellence in Latin is a humbling experience because you suddenly start to realize that there are uh, what we might call parallel universes mm -hmm. of excellent language in every single language that there is. Um, that Don Quixote in Spanish um, has, has got to have, I do not know Spanish, but it has to have a richness and a beauty to it that I am just never going to get out of a translation. Um, and, and that there are conversations about human nature happening all around the globe in all of these different languages with these beautiful and rich traditions of, of meaning um, languages are, are living histories uh, of, of the people who spoke them or the people who wrote in them. Um, and so getting to see that through the lens of Latin um, within a classical tradition, I think really humbles you as a learner um, and sets you at a, a place where you go, hmm, reading um, uh, Rene Descartes, I, I've read him in, in translation. Mm -hmm. What would it be like to read him in French? Um, you know, what, what does this what am I missing out on? Because I, I don't have access to these things. Um, and so I think that's one of the long enduring benefits of Latin beyond just that language itself and what you can read in it or um, what it includes just within the classical education we provide is, is that humbling of there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of thought that's collected out there in the world um, that some of which we can only truly access if we you know apply ourselves to the study of another language. Grace Ramsey, Dean of Students at Ascent Classical Academy of Northern Colorado, that's in Windsor, as we talk about Latin and its role in classical education. Grace, thanks so much for joining us here on the Hillsdale College Classical Education Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Scott Bertram. We invite you to like us on Facebook. Search for Hillsdale College K-12 Classical Education. You also can follow us on Instagram at Hillsdale underscore K-12 hillsdale underscore k12 on instagram thank you for listening to the hillsdale college classical education podcast mm -hmm.